This podcast is presented to you by a new series, The Clergy Confessions Podcast, now available wherever you get your podcast. Listen to ministers share truly awful experiences in anonymity. In this first season, you will hear stories of a minister fighting for maternity leave deep into her pregnancy, a pastor being fired for discovering an embezzlement scheme by the deacon board, an associate pastor finding his senior pastor and office administrator having an affair on church property, and so much more. Visit clergyconfessions.com. Follow Clergy Confessions on Instagram, Facebook, and whatever Twitter's called now. This week, we're sharing a couple interviews from our time at General Assembly in Atlanta this last summer. And if you recall from our episode with Meredith Stone, we had some significant audio issues. I hope it won't be a distraction for you because these conversations are worth a listen. to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter, so each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Edney Hale, your podcast host. This year we're celebrating our eighth year on the podcast, bringing you better interviews with your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to on an island unto yourself. Get online and share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF Podcast community through our CBF Podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We also want to give a special shout out to some of our listener supporters, including Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Trip Hawthorne, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. Thanks for listening. Little Rock, Arkansas, Pittsburgh, PA, Ashburn, Virginia, West Yellowstone, Montana, Tamworth, Australia, and Hamilton, Canada. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. And before we move on, we need to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Zondervan Media Company, Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, A Model Ministry, and Gardner-Webb University's School of Divinity. Finally, and I promise this is it, don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platforms. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Gardner-Webb University School of Divinity. The Gardner-Webb University School of Divinity aims to equip, nurture, encourage, and support men and women for their best service in the kingdom of God. Offering several programs, including master's and doctoral levels, you'll be equipped and encouraged to discover the unique place where your faith reaches out to meet the needs of the world. Now enrolling for fall of 2023, for more information about Gardner-Webb Divinity programs, scholarships, and grants, call 704-406-3205 and visit gardner-webb.edu. Guests are Nell Green and Kristen Cunard, the co-founders of Threads by Nomads. Nell, Kristen, thank you for joining the conversation. Thank you. Thanks. We're glad to be here. So, um... You two are co-founders of an organization, and then at some point you shared one body, which actually sounds really creepy when I said it out loud. You're a <laughs> mother and daughter. Yes, we are. Yeah. Okay, so the upbringing actually worked out in such a way that you went into business together. So. It did. Um, her early years were in Dakar, Senegal, where we first served as uh, career missionaries. And there you don't buy clothes off a rack. Uh, everything is done by tailors. 
So she actually grew up uh, there designing her own clothes and uh, picking out her fabrics. Um, and so a foundation was sort of laid of being able to be very versatile, um, as well as giving business to the folks that are in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So tell us the vision um, behind Threads for Nomads. I'd love to get each of your, your take on us. Kristen, we'll start with you. Sure. Well, I have seen firsthand how business can be used for good. And I think there is a myth or a misunderstanding in the faith-based space that everything good has to come from nonprofits, come from churches. A lot of good can come from nonprofits and can come from churches, but a lot of good can come from business. And so my goal, having a background in design and buying and advertising, was to take advantage of our connections globally and to create a business that would do a whole lot of good um, for as many people as possible. And so we work primarily with refugees here in the United States, as well as with people who are in danger of displacement or are already displaced all over the world. We come alongside them if they need skill development assistance or marketing assistance or business development assistance, and then we create a marketplace. We purchase the goods that they make and we sell them to others to raise awareness of you know, their needs and their lives and the things that they face. So that, that for me is, is teaching people that business can do good, a lot of good, and doing as, good, as much good for as many people as possible. That was my vision. No, I'm, I'm just sitting here, kind of leading to you here in just a second. We're sitting here at General Assembly where we've got these forced colors we wear. <laughs> and yet you're pulling it off in a fashionable way that I've never seen anybody else do. So, you know, what, what, you know it seems like it's a natural thing for you to start a, a, you know, a fashion line here, if you will. Yeah, it really was. Um, but again, part of that beginning was in Senegal. It was a really freeing thing for me uh, as I began to wear the clothes and the different things um, of the women of the culture where I was ministering. The women of Senegal are exceptionally beautiful, and they have amazing style. Mm. Um, and so, in fact, one of, one of my first instances of going out with uh, one of my Senegalese friends long after my arrival, uh, we were going to a market, and markets can be dirty and busy and all those sorts of things, and so I had on a, a long jean skirt, a t-shirt, and flip-flops, and uh, Marietta came to the door, and she saw me, and she says, I'm not going anywhere with you looking like that. <laughs> and, and so I learned quickly that, um, that appearance and the way you dress... Um, especially as you integrate that in with the culture where you're, you're ministering and you're living, um, speaks a lot to the people that you are with. I think my vision for this uh, as we began was, was a little bit different from, from Kristen's. We've ministered among refugees and immigrants and the impoverished for 37 years now. And we became frustrated because we realized that we were really working towards their survival. But they don't want to just survive. They want to thrive. And while we were working to help them have things a little bit easier and a little bit better, uh, what they really wanted was dignity. And they wanted, especially as they came here, and, and they came thinking, oh my, this is, this is the place where I can finally be who I really want to be. Uh, what they wanted was not a job and not minimum wage. They wanted a career. Um, and so as we began to uh, envision Threads by Nomad, 
um, we said, okay, this is a way to make that happen. And I really believe that the future of missions is in social entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, to ignore what business can do um, for these vulnerable communities is to ignore one of our greatest We can't go any further without telling about one of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. How does your congregation handle ministry staff leadership for areas such as youth and children's ministry? More and more churches are cultivating these leaders from within their congregations. Going away to seminary is not an option for these persons, yet many desire some level of theological education to better prepare them for their ministry role. In response to this trend, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky has launched the Homegrown Initiative. The Homegrown Initiative offers ministry leaders options for training and growth that fits into their busy schedules. If you or someone else at your church is serving as a homegrown minister and is looking to be better equipped as a minister, visit bsk.edu to learn more about new creative options for growth. bsk.edu. That's bsk.edu. Let's stay right there. Um, Threads by Nomads sources fabric from across the globe, employs refugees in the United States, and provides an avenue of micro-enterprise entrepreneurs worldwide to sell, um, you know, these creations. How do you how do you identify these partners and these textile artists? Honestly, I I know the e-commerce part of the business. I know the marketing part of the business. I know the design part of the business. But I couldn't do this without mom having spent. 40 years on the mission field and having traveled the world, and we have not sought anyone out. It's all been word of mouth. Uh, so, you know, CBF field personnel from Sue Smith and um, Lynn Hutchinson and so Tina Bailey, so many of them have been instrumental in connecting us with the right people uh, and and people we have never met even who heard about us and said, oh, you know what, I, I know of this refugee woman, Alia, in Raleigh, and she's a seamstress, and you know, long story short, I got to stop in Raleigh on the way down here and meet with her and sit in her living room, and she's making clothing for us now, and we had tea together, and um, have I even met the person who connected us with Alia yet? No, you don't even know her. Yeah, see, um, she's one of our CBF pastors. Um, <laughs> that I was, I was at a breakfast meeting, um, and was kind of talking about some of the things that we were doing. And she goes, oh, I have somebody I might like you to meet. And then we were at CBF of North Carolina. And a couple of the people who were there and a couple of the pastors came to us and said, you know, these are some of the things that our refugee families can make. Uh, the way we do that is once somebody brings something or someone to us, then we go and we sit with them. And we say, okay, what can you do? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe sewing is not your strong point. Maybe it's embroidery. Then we look at their work. We identify areas where perhaps they can improve, where they maybe need some mentoring, where they maybe need some training, equipment. A lot of times what they need is a better machine. Um, and then we're able to say, okay, what can you do? And how can we come alongside you? Yeah, one of the things that struck me about Alia is that she, you know, her home is very traditionally um, set, set up. So we sat on the floor, and but because they do a lot more on the floor than we do, we sit in chairs at tables, it's just a very different way of living. She had been working on the floor and was starting to have back issues, and she needed something as simple as a table, right? That doesn't... I actually, when we posted this on Facebook, someone commented and said, oh my gosh, at our church, we have so many of those tables just sitting in a basement. And 
all Alia needed was a table. So oftentimes, it's not, it's not even anything as big as a machine, although we're happy to secure something like that for them. Um, I also, I, I know we're going back to a point about style, but sitting with Alia reminded me how important it is to celebrate others and other cultures through their art. And that's a key piece of Threads by Nomad. Um, I traveled to Chiapas uh, with Sue Smith, CBF field personnel, a number of years ago for Threads. And she took me into one of the villages and we met a, a couple who was running a small church there. And the young woman we met was probably my age in her 30s, maybe, maybe a few years younger. You know the first thing she wanted me to do was try on her traditional clothing. And when I did, she got teary and started giggling because here was this American woman who wanted to see the thing that she felt was most beautiful that she owned. So there is a, a sense of celebrating each other and our cultures through art and design and style that's a key piece of this as well. You talk about a, a key component of the production is hiring of refugees stateside mm -hmm. and enlisting of creators from various countries providing micro-enterprise opportunities. For those that maybe aren't familiar with that term, what do you mean by that and, and why is that so important? So many of the people who work for us are women. Um, and in the countries around the world where, uh, where we are working with women, uh, necessarily having a work that takes them outside the home um, if they have work outside the home, it's, it's working alongside in the fields or factories or wherever, but they want an extra income, or maybe they're not working outside the home at all, and they just need that little extra. I'll give you an example of another Alia. There's quite a few Alias in some of the cultures we work with. <clears throat> She's from Afghanistan. She cannot work outside the home. She has five children. She takes care of them. But Alia is desperate to send money back to Afghanistan for her sister, who is a widow and who has children of her own and who can't work. And so basically, Alia and others are her sole support. So to make two, three, four hundred dollars a month and be able to send that back is what she wants to achieve. Um, what have we had to invest in that? Well, we've helped her secure the machines that she needs. And then we find work that she can do. She can't do everything. Um, her skills are not up to that yet. Um, so t small tasks that she can earn uh, a bit of money that she then can invest in the people who are important to her. For many, many of our women, that's their children. That's the money that they make that will send their kids to school or that will buy them their books or their school uniforms. Um, another thing that it means, for example, we work with a group called the Master's Handicraft in Kyrgyzstan, and it's a woman's cooperative where the women are taught all aspects of the sheep industry. This means many times the woman is the sole breadwinner for that family. And so the money that they make, even though by our standards it's not a lot, it nevertheless supports families there in their home, in their village, in their country. So if people want to get involved, uh, support what you're doing, what's the best way for them to get connected with you? Well, the first thing is to go shop at threadsbynomad.com. Um, we try to have as much listed there as possible, and it tells the stories of the people we work with, and um, that's the easiest first step in getting engaged. Also. 
if you know of a refugee here in the United States who is skilled in some way or has, um, you know, a, a talent of some kind, creates things, let us know that. Um, we, we are always looking to expand our network and to, to in invest in new opportunities. Um, what else would you say, Mom? So out of Threads by Nomad, we had so many people beginning to come to us saying, hey, can you help me start a business? Hey, can you help me get the training I need to do? Uh, for example, one woman came to us wanting to learn how to make jewelry, things like that. We began doing so many things that really was nonprofit work that out of Threads by Nomad, we began a nonprofit called The Off-Ramp. Um, and the off-ramp is actually what subsidizes a lot of the grants and, and scholarships and things that we give. Um, so, for example, a simple thing that's coming out of the off-ramp um, this week and next week, we have welcomed uh, an Afghan family to uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina. Um, Mom is about to have a baby. And so we are offering our followers on the off-ramp to help us get Mom set up um, and do all the things that she needs to welcome a new baby boy into the family. So there's a lot of ways to get engaged through the off-ramp, that then we support the people through grants and scholarships and mentoring to then become engaged with Threads by Nomad. I also would say more broadly, being aware of our neighbors and of their needs. Um, and our neighbors don't always look like us or need the same things we need. Um, and and stepping out of our comfort zone to engage with them, something as simple as saying hello to someone in your neighborhood and smiling at them can actually go a long way. And in my case, has started relationships with neighbors that were shocked that I would be willing to you know, learn their language and sit down and have tea with them. And so just being aware that they are probably lonelier than we realize, um, because few people are willing to make those connections. And then being aware of the impact of your dollar. That's a huge piece of social enterprise. Of we, we say purchase with purpose. Um, the way we spend our money says a lot about who we are and what we believe. And I don't think, here in the US especially, we pay enough attention to the consequences of how we spend our money. Know who makes your clothing. Know who is behind so many of the, the things that we use day in and day out. That is the most immediate and possibly the most impactful way to change the world, quite literally. I, I don't feel that that's an exaggeration. So those are, are two things even outside of the scope, the immediate scope of what we're doing that I would love our customers and our friends to, to be more aware of and to do more regularly. And, and let me say that as you think about these things, um, if if you want to work for a fair wage and you want to receive quality, then the bottom line is so did the people who work for Threads by Nomad. Uh, I, what I say to people is we are not a bargain basement shopping experience because everything that you see at Threads by Nomad is connected to somebody we know uh, or an organization that we are in partnership with. And we want to be certain that when we sell their merchandise, we are selling it at a price point that supports them fairly. Um, and fair wage and a fair living existence, that will help displacement. It is key to one of the things that causes displacement. Our guests are Nell Green and Kristen Kennard. They're co-founders of Threads by Nomads. Visit threadsbynomads.com. Thank you all for our sitting up for a conversation.
We are pausing to tell you about one of our collaborative annual sponsors, A Model Ministry. Are you a church leader who's committed to keeping children safe? If so, then A Model Ministry is for you. We are a registered nonprofit organization specializing in safety education, policy writing, and risk assessment to mitigate child abuse in ministry organizations. We understand that child safety is a top priority for churches, and we are here to create a safe and nurturing environment for all children. Our founders can provide the resources and support needed to implement effective child safety policies and procedures. Visit amodelministry.com to learn more about our services and how we can help keep children safe. Since 2016, CBF has brought you episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. Our guests are Danny Prada and Emma Fayes. Emily is the Community Transformation and Chaplaincy Associate Director at Palm Beach Atlantic University. Danny is the Coordinator of Recruitment at PBAU, is that okay to say that, I guess, and Lead Pastor at Heartway Church in Davie, Florida. Emma and Danny, thank you for joining the conversation. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, one thing we've already learned about this wonderful university is they're very brief on their titles. (laughs) (laughs) So you're here representing Palm Beach Atlantic University. Yep. That sounds wonderful, like a university on the beach. Mm -hmm. Tell us about this university. It's just as wonderful as it sounds, honestly. Right on the intercoastal, beautiful views. I had the privilege of living on campus because I'm an alumni when I was doing my undergrad work. And it was just the best, mm-hmm. literally the best. And Emma actually works there every day. Yeah, I can see the palm trees in the water from my office window. It's a one mile to the actual beach, so. So like it's when we're nice. trying to recruit people to come to the school, we spend like, you know, 40% of the time talking about the program, 60% talking about the beach and the water mm-hmm. and the weather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially when we're recruiting in February, that's a great time to tell people it's yeah, exactly. 75 degrees in South Florida. So. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm glad. That the agreement of sitting down for this conversation is that I get to come and yeah. tour the school yeah, absolutely. and visit you all. <laughs> You're more than welcome. Um, so Palm Beach has launched a new program called the Community Transformation Center. Mm-hmm. Um, Emma, what, what's the vision behind it? Yeah, so we are about a year into this program. We're funded by the Lilly Endowment, so we're part of their Pathways 3 um, group of grant grantees and the vision behind is to create pathways for co-vocational ministry so a lot of um, people who have a call to ministry going into full-time ministry means that they're not going to have the financial stability that they need to support their family or to pay back loans from theological education and so a bivocational option often means people get pulled in multiple directions, but this co-vocational option is to use chaplaincy as an option um, to to make some additional money that's using the same skills and to equip people for pastoral care, spiritual care, 
both in traditional settings like hospitals and hospice, uh, military, but also we're pushing that out into the community. So that's the community transformation piece of what does chaplaincy look like in a social work community-based organization that's there in the city and working with people that are there, um, and how can that support pastoral ministry and congregations? And so it's kind of bringing all of that together. And Danny really embodies what that looks like because he is a, a church planter and a, and a chaplain at the same time. Danny, what, what are some of the key components of this program? My favorite part of it is the emphasis on trauma and spirituality, which is something that I haven't seen a lot of. And so I love that there are courses designed to help people that want to provide spiritual care learn more about the trauma that affects the people in their context because it makes all the difference in the world. And then we also have the transformational leadership component, which helps equip people to be leaders in the nonprofit world, learn things about fundraising and conflict resolution, all things that are so important that I actually had to learn on the fly. I had to learn as I go. Most of us do. So to be able to have this as a part of the package when it comes to your MDiv or an MA is huge. Mm -hmm. yeah. huge. So you're talking about, obviously, Danny, who's one of our great church starters. Um, I like to take credit for, for him being big. <laughs> it's not, I, I don't get no credit for it. So he was on his way in while I was on my way out of church starting initiative. But, um, you know, he's an example of somebody who's co-vocational, obviously chaplaincy and then pastoring a church. What tends to be the other balance of vocations of other people participating in this program? You know, I guess in short, what, what are other people doing as they're also doing chaplaincy? Yeah, that's a, a good question. We've, we've kind of seen chaplaincy as something that's attractive to people that are coming from various different spaces in life. So for some of our younger students who are like, I've never really heard about chaplaincy, and they get a little taste of it, and they're like, this is what I thought ministry was supposed to be, sitting with people in the hardest times of their lives and, and providing spiritual care and comfort and support as best as I can. And that seems really attractive to them um, and, and allows them to get that sense of, of doing the ministry that they feel called to while they're working in a church and maybe not getting to have those opportunities um, as much as they'd like. But we've also noticed a lot of um, second career students who are looking for a pathway into ministry. Maybe they had a call to ministry decades ago and, and things just never really worked out for them and they're like, maybe I, I want to step into this now. And so this is providing them a lot of different opportunities to get an MDiv with the concentration and community transformation and chaplaincy gives you credentials to be a pastor, to be a chaplain, to be both of those things. Um, to be in a nonprofit setting. Um, and then we've also now started to realize we have some people who are looking at this almost as like their third career, their retirement plan. I can be, I can step out of full-time pastoral ministry and I can walk into chaplaincy and, and kind of live out my ministry the rest, the rest of, you know, the third half of my life, third, third of my life um, <clears throat> that way. But we're also kind of equipping people for these nonprofit um, options, And so that was my experience. What drew me into, into working for this program is I worked, I did an MDiv, and then I worked in refugee resettlement, and I learned about trauma-informed care and how to work with people who and communities who've experienced trauma, and I thought, I needed this in my MDiv. Why didn't somebody tell me this when I was working in churches? Um, and they were teaching us about <clears throat> sin and right. <laughs> how bad we are. Um, and so to be able to incorporate that gives students skills that they can apply to a social work uh, type position or to a community organization and say, I have the, the trauma-informed care skills um, and I have the 
non-anxious presence skills to be able to sit here and, and work in this space as well. So one of the challenges, so it's interesting, um, I look back at my time in seminary and the option at the time was you could do, eight, this sounds so silly, a semester of supervised ministry or a unit of CPE. Mm-hmm. And I was working full time in the church and so I chose the supervised ministry route. Fast forward many years later and I started a church with a group of people and I wish I had done CPE because I have always felt that chaplaincy, and I remember you and I had some conversation about this, chaplaincy is the perfect balance for a church starter where they can continue to live out their sense of calling while they're also nurturing this faith community. So in thinking through this program, how, how does that balance work out? Like somebody like me who, you know, maybe was in full-time vocational ministry but had a sense that they wanted to do some chaplaincy, um, what does that look like? I like to think about CPE as like a master class in emotional intelligence and self-awareness. And that will be helpful to any pastor, even if they don't end up being chaplains. So that's one of the most important things that I try and communicate to folks. It's like, if you go ahead and do this, and let's say you don't end up being a chaplain, what you're going to get from clinical pastoral education is something that is just going to make you a better human and as a result a better minister too. So CPE is is one of the uh, the best things that has happened to my ministry. So I'm happy that you know we're going to be able to get people into it. We have a lot of partnerships with different hospitals that have CPE programs in our area and uh, yeah. So um, I'd love to hear from each of you, you know, what's your, what's your hope for the program? You know, obviously a year into it, but looking years ahead, you know, what do you envision and what do you hope for? Uh, Emma, we'll start with you. Sure. Yeah, I think we, we are excited to see that this is meeting a need for a lot of people. This program tends to sell itself as soon as we sit down with somebody and say, kind of, here are the things that you're going to study, you're going to get. If, if they're doing, we have multiple degree options to kind of create these pathways. And so we have an MDiv with a concentration, we have a Master of Arts in Chaplaincy, and we have um, some graduate certificates that just focus on the trauma and spirituality and one on the transformational leadership. And so in creating all of those, when we talk with people who, we've had several experiences of people saying, I've been waiting to figure out what's next. And we've got enough options that they can say, oh, this is what's next. This is practical. This makes sense to me. This, I can start using, you know, tomorrow, what I just learned tonight, I can put into practice in my congregation, in my chaplaincy work. Um, And so we're excited to continue to grow that and continue to build theological education that is paying attention to the realities um, in society and in cities. So we're in West Palm Beach, we're right downtown, and so we're connecting with all of these community organizations that want to address things like the housing crisis that's happening in South Florida and feeding ministries. And we're partnering with all of these to say, what does chaplaincy look like in those spaces? And how can we equip our students to be able to do community organizing, to be able to fill these spaces in institutional settings um, for chaplaincy? And so it's exciting to see that growing and to see it opening students' eyes to, oh, I was maybe feeling burned out about ministry, but this is exciting to me now, and so I want to see what this can look like. Let's take a break to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work. What is social work? At Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work, it's empowerment, service, and justice. 
It's ministry, counseling, and relationship building. It's faith, practice, and community. But above all, it's learning how to help others thrive. Social workers can be found addressing the full scope of the human experience in churches, schools, prisons, government agencies, senior living centers, nonprofits, and Fortune 500 companies. Careers in social work profession are vast and varied. What is social work, you ask? It's much more than you think. Visit gsswstories.baylor.edu to explore more. I'm also excited about the research component. Yeah of all of this because we really want to be uh, a hub of, of resources for chaplains, not just who are part of our program, but just chaplains everywhere and anywhere. And so I know Emma and Ryan, our director, are already working on a project to present next year at the AAR, mm -hmm. which is going to be wonderful. What exactly is that? Yeah, so we, we want to not just put this into practice and say, look, this is great, it's working here, but we also want to do some, some research um, to see, okay, what are the positive outcomes of having a chaplain in a social service setting? Um, how does that benefit the clients? How does that benefit um, the staff there? We've had some you know, not faith-based, non-religious social service organizations really excited about that option for both their staff and the people who receive their services. Um, and so we want to also do, do academic qualitative research on that to say this is a real model um, that can be implemented and, and we can create communities that are resourcing their own um, neighborhoods with spiritual care providers and, and opportunities for, for someone to sit and, and provide care in that way. Because the spiritual resources are a need. Somebody needs to address the spiritual um, needs that people have in communities and social workers don't often feel equipped to do that. And so how can we empower our students to do that as well. So uh, last question. Um, remind me again, what are the dates I'm coming down for that? that <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you want. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. It's we'll better to come in like October or February. Those are the best times to come down to South Florida. We'd love to have you, man. Our guests are Danny Prada and MFAs. Uh, they are with Palm Beach Atlantic University's Community Transformation Center. You can visit and learn more about their work at pbactc.org. Thanks for sitting down for our conversation. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. We are grateful for a chance to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Zondervan Media Group. Explore the depth and beauty of scripture with the NRSV Updated Edition. With provisions based on new contextual evidence, historical insights, and linguistic precision, this updated edition of the NRSV delivers a translation of scripture based on meticulous care for accuracy and readability. Learn more about new editions of the NRSV UE from Zondervan at nrsvuebible.com. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platforms. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Gardner-Webb University School of Divinity, a model ministry, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, Baylor University's Garland School of Social Work, and Zondervan Media Company. Check out more at cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and more. And I'm not sure if we mentioned that you should join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.